This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Bill Gormley. Bill is the president of the Gormley Group, and he's chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And we thought we'd take a little bit of a look back at the last four years at GSA, and then a look forward. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Roger. Happy New Year to you, and look forward to looking back as well as looking forward. Right. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, um, well, at GSA, just uh, I'd like to get your assessment, just generally, of the last four years. I think there was a lot accomplished, but there's you know, but there's still a lot left to do. And and how do you think GSA is positioned for, for to move forward in the future? Sure. Hey, can we use a five star rating? Oh, sure. I, it's up to you. Yeah, okay. Five star rating. Sorry, um, Three and a half, two, one. <laughs> no, just those. Okay. So I think. During the past administration, there was a move away from LPTA, so I'd give that a five star. I think okay. not that you ever get there, but I think there was that objective of moving away from from uh, LPTA. Um, and then I put continued uh, category management. I give it a two and a half. And I'm not personally, I'm not seeing the impact of the investment that's being made and the benefit that was expected to come from it. Um, the FAST program, the, the training, I think was a five. COVID, COVID nixed it in April of 2020. But in fairness to uh, to getting that program decision made to to set it up again was a huge was a huge decision. Yet COVID took it out. But I think the the reason for the decision uh, holds true moving forward. So hopefully the new administration will do it as well because there's a. a a significant amount of uh, need for training threat government and acquisition areas. And, and this was a uh, platform that provided, uh, you know, that necessary training. So, you know, that's been, been a void there for five, four, five, six years. And, and I know we can talk about online training and so forth, but I'm sure that's all fine, but there's still a need to, to have industry and government get together and have have direct face-to-face conversation. I think there's a, a key need for that. So I, I gave that five stars to, or in the past and hopefully to move forward five stars. Right. I think they're planning on doing a virtual fast 2021. Okay. Oh, in the spring or early summer this okay. year. So hopefully that will, they'll be able to, uh, you know, roll that out. So I won't make that a five yet. All right. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. And um, and then starting to you know and kind of ending up, and we can talk some other areas. But Alyssa, I had back to LPTA. I kind of felt that it went from uh, from a five, move away from it to a one. That they moved towards LPTA more for services, which is starting to have negative impacts, you know, on GSA's schedules program. Um, 
some people are looking for 50% discounts on labor categories that, that have been awarded during, I, I don't get too far down into it, but you know, some, we've had some examples where it's 50%. They would say, Hey, they're either reduced to 50% or you don't, you don't get your contract renewed. I mean, so, I mean, and, and there's no reason behind other than we want a good deal. So that I think is a one, I think there's a lot of influence about that. And we can get into that, you know, probably later on in the show as well. So I want to get your your star rating for schedules consolidation. <laughs> I wouldn't give that. Uh, and that was a tough one. I think uh, I know it's not one person doing it, but Stephanie did a great job uh, interfacing with industry and her. I mean, team Stephanie Shut, right? And the program manager, right for GSA. So yeah. I give her a five, probably five and five plus. I mean, she did a great job. I mean, there's it's not it's not for the faint of heart and she's hasn't seen it all the way through yet, but she's got the vision seen all the way through. Now the work is in their final stage of full consolidation. I think they call it phase three. Um, so they're in that. So she's done a great job with that. Um, and I think that will enable them to pay significant dividends on the enhancement of the, of the program by virtual having one contract number now you know, for, for industry. Um, and for customer base, uh, once everybody, it's, it's, you know, like anything else, change is difficult for some people and you just get through habits of how you do things. And some people's habits will have changed based on the consolidation, but the reason for it, the strategy for it, I think is uh, definitely worth a five. Great. Um, and why don't we, we start there and just talk about, you know, oh, well, how about a, a, a star rating for e-commerce first before we get on to some other things? Uh, we have, there's different parts of e-commerce. So, right. The ratings, I think e-commerce as a principle or as an acquisition tool would be five star. I think, you know, everybody's used to it now in their life and they, they understand it. And there's no, there's no reason why that would be hard to transition over to government. I think where that star gets awful, awful dim there and probably drops to about a one is when the government um, made the determination to um, define e-commerce as, as a market, as a market. And, and they did it in three parts. And I think that's where the B-Canada GSA made, made an error. I mean, I think that's, I think you isolated a lot of e-commerce opportunities um, for throughout government. By, by setting up that those three determinations and not just having it as an e-commerce. So uh, I, and then GSA subsequently awarded a, uh, some contracts and it was three contracts through their e-commerce. Um, right. So what you're talking about, Bill, is that, that GSA chose to, you know, to define e-commerce in three sort of buckets or three sort of stovepipes, right? When you stop and think about it, an e-marketplace, which is, I guess like the Amazon slash eBay type model. I mean, uh, eBay, excuse me, or even eBay a little bit, but which is a federal uh, 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 database. Then e-procurement, which is like a software that helps write business rules and goes out like Travago or something, you know, the ones you see advertised uh, or you did see advertised for like for travel and when people were able to travel. Right. For sure. The last one is e-commerce, which would be like your traditional, you know, e-commerce sites that companies would have to, you know, sell their products. And it could be like a Walmart or 
uh, Staples, Office Depot, companies like that. Those are the three buckets. And to your point, I guess they 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 chose to come up with those definitions, and then they chose to only implement anything with one of the three, which seems to me to be a you know a more restrictive competitive approach. Well, I, I wish they. I agree with you. I wish they did just open it up to all e-commerce, and and you know that was the that's the point of a pilot. It seems to me. Yeah, and that's, this is a to your point to pilot and JSA, um, while not being perfect, um, eBuy was in, was an electronic commerce site as well. So I think we have the competition is good, Roger. I just think you have, you have too much. There's too many one-offs here, or too many other things you need to know about this e-commerce program, and it's it's not make and it's not a uh, as easy as everyone has made it out to be. And there's only a few agencies who have even signed up for the pilot. And so um, uh, since the award of it um, about a year ago, I really haven't heard any, heard any activity. So um, and I think that's part of where the confusion is. And a lot of people don't want to play in it yet until it's, uh, um, you know, until it's mature. Right. There's a lot going on there too, Bill, when you start thinking about section 889 and the Huawei ban and, um, and how that plays into it. And then, you know, domestic sourcing has become a bigger and bigger deal even now with, you know, post, you know, during COVID and will be post COVID and how all that would be play out through these e-commerce platforms, which I think have a great potential to actually address those government concerns over the long term. There's a lot left to be done there. Yeah. Yeah. So be interesting to see how it all plays out. Geez, Bill, you know, we're already up on the break. So when we come back, um, I want to focus a little bit more on schedules consolidation, just in the sense of, we're in phase three, people are consolidated, which is the consolidation of people where people have multiple contracts and they're, and, and presumably over the course of this year, they'll wrap it up, that part phase up. So what's next? Where do they go? What does schedules consolidation, you know, present to GSA in terms of opportunities to, fur- to further enhance the program? Okay. Sound good? Sounds good. Ready. So my guest today is Bill Gormley. He is the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Bill Gormley. Bill is the president of the Gormley Group, and he's also a chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And we're sort of taking an assessment of GSA, you know, at the end of the Trump administration, the beginning of the Biden administration. And uh, Bill, uh, this segment, as I mentioned at the end of the last, we want to focus a little bit more on schedules consolidation. And now that GSA is in phase three and you're seeing companies merge multiple contracts into a single one um, and you have a single solicitation with a uniform sort of set of terms and conditions across the program, um, what are the other opportunities for, you know, what's the next stage? What do you think that GSA needs to focus on in the schedules program, you know, building on the consolidation? Yeah, I think the, uh, well, a number of areas. First off, uh, we, we said earlier that, you know, the consolidation is, uh, was the right direction to go. So that's number one. So the next one is more towards the, the transition, maybe organizationally, which, I know probably from a listener standpoint um, is not that entertaining, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the operational side internally becomes very important, uh, not only to internal operations, but how it affects their inter- external relationships with industry and their customer base. 
So I think right now we're we're going to your point, going through the the migration, the final steps of that, and that's going to take a while. Um, getting VPAs addressed during the consolidation, I think, is I think could have been handled uh, um, a lot better, to be honest with you, from a customer standpoint, because um, some of these procurements now are the old schedules are going to extend up to maybe five years or something like that. And I think that's, that's all about bookkeeping, right? That's really purely about the number, right? You know, the same company, the same pricing. I mean, you 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 can make that part of the, uh, you know, the transition and just get to a single, a single contract number. And I'm sure internally legal at GSA and maybe other folks at GSA and maybe others outside of that have had questions about it, but, when you net net this whole thing out, it comes down to to your exactly to your point. It's really an administrative. If you treat it like an administrative matter, that's what it would become. If you treat it other than that, then it's going to become a, a long road to to get to the end. Right. The, the administrative matter has resulted in people have still having parallel contracts. Right. Stove pipe thought process. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So. Um, and you mentioned stovepipe, so we might as well tackle this because um, I think it's going to be the emerge. I think schedules consolidation is shine a light on this issue because um, as you know, GSA is going through phase three to try to consolidate people small, who have multiple contracts into a single one. You know, correspondingly, the back office operation, the administrative management of the contracts which have now become an enterprise wide sort of single platform is still very stovepiped in the federal acquisition service. So you have different acquisition centers with still different approaches. And even within those acquisition centers, you have contracting officers with, you know, can have 180 degree different views from each other. Uh, Is that the next area where GSA needs to look at the Underlying, underlying organizational management structure to try to take best advantage of uh, schedules consolidation. Yeah, I, I don't want. I'm just going to dip into history here for a second. And, and sure. Out of it, but you know, centers when, when we set them up, they're based on back then called commodity management. So it was commodity oriented. So if, if you wanted to have uh, IT, then you have an IT center, or you have a tool center, or you have a paint chemical center. You know, you have office supplies. So. That was back in the day. So that structure is out there somewhat still today. And I think to your point, when you go consolidated, you know, the challenge on GSA internally is, you know, do you maintain that level of knowledge or, or do you go more to the contracting side of um, negotiating a fair and reasonable price and um, let industry handle the technical side of this uh, offering? Um and also your customers can drive um, the interest of what they're, what they would like to see under the schedule. So if they focus on that from a market standpoint, a customer standpoint, I think some of this would uh, ease the internal tension to your point, um, which is somewhat understood because it's been historical and people have been used to, to buying what they bought. But I think when you start getting into the commercial, pure commercial side of contracting, um, yes, there could be some knowledge of what you're buying, but not the specialty is necessary. You know, the marketplace is determining the quality and so forth. I think the one way to do this to harness that idea, Roger, is to really have a uh, you know a single uh, MAS manager you know, that provides leadership 
you know, and it's two stovepipe right now. And, and that's the, even in, you know, we were talking about the sort of the acquisition centers or stovepipe. Well, you also have the internal management and policy and in systems and things that run inside the program for external, for external usage. And so those are stovepipes. So I think bringing all that together with a, um, you know, single manager to be an advocate for the program and to address, uh, you know, there's going to be internal, internal conflicts all the time and it's somewhat healthy, but you got to have someone ultimately, you know, provide that forum to make the final decision and move forward. And that that's lacking. Right. Well, they're trying to, to your point, they're trying to address systems and move to a much more consistent, uniform approach. You know, I remember when Alan Thomas came in, he said there were like 171 or something, 151 different systems, and they've consolidated the contracts. I really think they, that's the opportunity to look at the management structure and how the contracting officers um, are organized and even just the role of management um, in a procurement operation and how that works in terms of the professional relationship between managers and contracting officers and all that. So and there needs to be a significant amount of in, internal training. And I'm sure people would say that, Hey, we've provided all this training internally, but you know, be candid you know we're we're seeing a lot of folks who who internally who are contracting folks who really are not up to date on what what the objectives are or even what the current policy is and that's that becomes frustrating both for them <laughs> when they're when they're negotiating trying to get what they think's a, the appropriate deal or the way to get a good deal and for industry which you know as i mentioned earlier you know people were saying well internally or like, Hey, we, we can't, we can't extend the option of your contract unless we get a better deal. I mean, that by starting off that way, that, that's not healthy. And uh, I know you've mentioned in the past too. I mean, you don't see where people are taking cuts um, in, in hourly rates uh, in, in society in, in general. I mean, that's just not particularly in the professional services area uh, where there's limited resources. So, I think there it's it's a counterproductive not to have someone focus on this and get into you, know, you and I talk about the boiler room back office and all that but I mean that's what it someone needs to really get down in there and pay attention to it. Yeah, so speaking of that, so we've got a couple minutes left and this might extend into the beginning of the next break but just in terms of you know that pricing issue, you know, looking at you see consolidation setting up an opportunity for pricing policy reforms to better reflect the 21st century market and part of that also your thoughts on implementation of section 876 yeah i think 876 the intent is i know is the term unpriced actually in there i thought it was no no it's that actually they, they don't 876 is the idea you know enhancing or increasing competition at the task order level by and the statute provides the ability to award contracts without, at the contract level without c- considering price and evaluating price and leaving that price competition and best value competition at the order level. That's basically what the statute was. Yeah. I think we agree <laughs> that pricing, as far as a buyer, the, the best pricing you're going to get occurs when you actually have a requirement, a defined requirement. And that means quantity, that means delivery times, you know, the, the basic ingredients of what you need to, to set up a procurement in place. And the schedules, 
was is was set up, you know, long ago to uh, to reflect commercial practices. And over the years, you know, the government, uh, while it's been a growing program, you know, it's 30, 36 billion, I think now, um, just on the, the GSA side, has um, has shown the has shown that customers see a value in the program. GSA takes a lot of heat about the pricing aspect of schedules. And I think some of this is folklore when they like, you know, you don't offer the lowest prices. Well, the program's not set up to offer the lowest, the lowest award prices. The customers are to get that because they have the requirement. And there, and that's just a, that, that may sound like we're real close to getting an understanding of what we're, what we're talking about when it comes to pricing, but I can tell you, it, it forever comes up that, you know, GSA does not get the lowest price. And it's an argument. It's not, it shouldn't be an argument. It shouldn't even be allowed because that's not how the program is built. But it creeps into the conversation. And then once that starts, it's a slippery slope. And GSA goes into defense mode. And then they overreact by, we got to get a better price. And you know, we're going to get in, I'm sure, before this is over with them. If you don't bring it up, I'll get into it, the IG. But you know, you have these other influences that aren't the customer who are making decisions on what, what's right for government. And they're not considering what is the commercial practice when it comes to pricing. So, you know, I know it's a long winded part of this, but 876, I think, recognizes or gives GSA the opportunity to recognize a way to handle pricing differently. And in doing so, um, it's going to be tricky. You know, you're going to have to educate the customer base as well, because that now what's the value of the schedule if there isn't a price on it? Why don't we stop right there, Bill, and when we come back, you can answer that question, okay? And we'll keep the discussion going. Uh, I'm Roger Walder, and my guest today is Bill Gormley. He is the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. <laughs> I'm Roger Walder. My guest today is Bill Gormley. Bill is the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And, you know, just rhetorically, what's the value of the schedule if there's no price on the contracts? Um, please, please enlighten us. <laughs> you want the five-star? You want the five-star answer? I want the five-star answer. Okay. All right. So there's a lot that goes into issuing a solicitation, as you and I know. Uh, and going through all the evaluations and, and making price determinations. Price determinations is one part of that. And the other part, and that's about 80% of putting, putting a procurement together is the buildup to pricing uh, and making that decision once you have a requirement. So I'd say the schedules represents about 80% of the acquisition process. And then based on 876 now, I think GSA now has the opportunity to recognize that the pricing, you know, the best pricing is available when the government has a requirement. And I think, you know, awarding contracts, awarding scheduled contracts, um, and I, I would say uh, having an e-buy button next to the contracts on e-library would allow the government to put the requirement, their, their defined requirement into, I mean, access to that contract contracts, you know, e-buy can be competitive, obviously, and just hit the e-buy button and the customer is going to get a quick response on what their uh, what the offer is at that actual time. 
And I know there, I know there's going to be some quirkiness or other people may feel differently about that, and that's fine. But I think that is a direct uh, common approach that that um, incorporates existing other existing GSA programs, electronic programs that the customers are using. So I think that's uh, for me that would be an initiative that, uh, that I think is worth pursuing. Yeah. Well, it it seems to me as a think about I mean I think the statute recognizes that to to its credit Congress recognized that pricing is driven by requirements competition for requirements not by you know a pricing mechanism at the at a contract level in the multiple award arena and um, but at the same time I think GSA is it looks about how it's going to implement is going to do things to try to provide market information for customers so they can understand. I think that's going to be part of the value add, continuing value add. Cause when you think about what they're really providing now is market information through the negotiation of the prices. Yeah. There's other ways to get that information and make it part of the program moving forward. And it'll be interesting to see how GSA uh, thinks about that and, you know, approaches its stakeholders in that regard. Um, I think that's a, it's, it'd be interesting to follow. Have any other thoughts before we move on to some other topics, any other issues with regard to the, to the, you know, schedules program you want to, um, a couple areas. One is we're seeing, uh, this, this gets, it's funny how we're talking schedules and then we, we can also talk HR human resources, right? So okay. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I know when former feds, we like acronyms or letters, but HR. So I think the HR system in regards to schedules program is, is having an impact on how employees are evaluated because we're seeing, uh, a, I'll use the term significant increase of off, offline requests by contracting officers for modifications because they, yeah, they had the EMOD process, which is, you know, was it's a heck of a system and got a lot of uh, security built into it. But I think the way that people are being evaluated, contracting officers, is how long does it take for them to get their work done? And so contracting officers are actually saying, you know, uh, send this to me offline, and and there's discussions, and it can sit for a long time, and it, it puts the industry in kind of a precarious position because they, you know, they, they can't say, hey, where's my offer at? Scared it's going to get canceled. So it's it's or my mods, and so it's, I think GSA should look at you know these are unintended consequences. Is probably the best way to put it. So so really, people, what they're doing, what you're saying, if I understand it, is that they're having you know the conversations not through the normal system because the normal system would track how long it takes to get the work done. Right. You do it offline, I guess, and get it all done. Then you put it into the system. Right. Right. Is that what? Yeah. And so, you know, we're GSA is saying, hey, we're doing a great job on Mize. We're doing them in 25, 30 days. You know, there's you know, folks have come to us that have had their mods in, particularly offline, for uh, almost a year. And and then that that's it's just it just doesn't set up a good relationship at all. So I think getting that out in the open and having um, GSA address that and we can all move forward together talking about transparency that would be transparency yeah okay anything else um 
Well, I'll talk about price. We talked about pricing, and I think it's kind of interesting. Um, we have the role of the IG. I think we've talked about that in the past. Um, we have time to begin that conversation now. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. So, I think conversation to you. <laughs> but the IG is becoming more, and they they should be involved in pricing. There's no question about it, but it should be as an advisory role. And I think what we're seeing lately is that, you know, they're they're having such an impact on the on the contracting officer, and it's almost as though the a, the auditor is making their decision on what is now fair and reasonable pricing, which is really only the contract. That's a contracting officer's responsibility. So the IG should have an advisory role, and GSA has, uh, for whatever reason, allowed uh, put more value on what the auditor is saying and basically dictating. If you don't do this, then you know you're going to be turned in or something. So there's that internal, and we know it's always going to be there to a point, but it should be recognized as an advisory role because you and I know that. And I don't know how many years ago. It's probably five years, six years ago. You know, memo was put out to the management within the schedules program. Don't interfere with contracting officers. And it's all the irony here, Roger. It's almost as though. The IG has taken over the management role, and they're in, now they're telling the contracting officers what to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I guess, Bill. My 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 experience here is that uh, that that's an age old issue that sort of ebbs and flows, and depending on you know the sort of overall management of the program. Because I remember when I was at GSA, I was part of a. IG um, FSS working group where we tried to work through these these kind of issues and improve the, you know the communication between the two organizations and how the processing was done and there were we had a lot of you know open conversations especially I know at the time with the GS the, the IG council about the role of the IG as advisory right on that they provide the contracting officers with the tools the information necessary for the CEO to make, you know, their determinations. So it's something that's been, been there and it goes, like I said, it goes up and down, you know, over time, but it's an age old issue. But hopefully, you know, looking forward, that's part of our <laughs> discussion. Yes. Yeah. Is that someone can put some light on that. And it's, it's not a, I gotcha thing. I mean, it's not, I mean, it, it's, they should be helpful. And I think uh, the CEO, the contracting officers have pretty much, you know, conceded to the fact Hey, you know, I'm I'm just going to listen to the to the auditor's recommendations now, and which has a negative impact ultimately on the program. And the auditor is not the auditor is focused on one area, and it's a macro program. It's not just one one aspect of it. Right. Well, Bill, we're up on the break. When we come back, I think we might shift a little bit. Talk about some of the GWACs, the GSA's Oasis contract, Bic Mac. Um, and then, you know, maybe close out with um, your thoughts on any specific, you know, recommendations or thoughts or things that you think the next administration should focus on to enhance the, you know, GSA's programs and support of customer agency mission. My guest today is Bill Gormley. He is the president of the Gormley Group, chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walter. My guest today is Bill Gormley. Bill is the president of Gormley Group, chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And Bill, um, you know, shifting, we spent a lot of time 
on the schedules program because I know that's your bread and butter and you know, and, think, yep. and, uh, and just yeah, <laughs> um, and still many of the current operating principles around it are things that you worked on when you're back at GSA. But let's turn a little bit to you know another FAS program that's um, you know a big part of their overall offerings to customer agencies, and that's like the ITG Wax and Oasis, and just you know what's your what's your current sort of thought assessment around those? I know we're in the midst Alliance small business was not awarded. It was canceled. And now they're issuing or working on Polaris, which is supposed to be the next version of Alliance small business for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, you know, and then they're, and they're starting to look at follow on for Oasis, just your thoughts and on the state of play there. Well, I think GWAX as a program uh, has value. And I think the the GWAC and GSA's GWAC and GSA schedules um, programs complement each other. So um, I think the unfortunate side when they canceled the small business uh, recompete had uh, a lot of it had a lot of negative impact. More so that I think the GSA maybe anticipated or would even want to acknowledge, but that that was not that was not a good move. Um, viewed by many, many in industry and also on the customer base side. So, you know, with the Polaris, I think that's going to incorporate some of A76, I guess, is some of the pricing. Yes. Yeah. Earlier. And um, so we'll see if that program gets awarded on time, which will be interesting to see if that occurs. Hopefully it does. Um, and then you have, you know, I think there's that the Big Mac or something programs that you Yeah, Big Mac, they're calling it. Like best in class, multiple award contract, Big Mac. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we could talk about, talk about schedule. Okay, well, I'll talk about that later. And so on the, on the Big Mac side, I think, I think, I think GSA, um, I'm not sure what their total vision is here, Roger, but I think that they've, they should recognize on, you know, fine tuning, giving, you know, giving tune-ups to programs is good. You know, you had the schedules, again, a big tune-up, you know, consolidating. I think GWAC should do a tune-up, uh, major tune-ups where they feel there, there could be a way to enhance it. But I think consolidating everything um, with the idea of having a big Mac uh, could be, uh, I think it's going to be challenging, particularly for small businesses and, and large businesses. I mean, people are set up, and also the customer base should not be forgotten here. I think that that's why it's not forgotten. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the vision is and just how do they, to the extent it is needed, you know, how do they maintain what works, right? That's the, do you lose what, what works when you, you know, move to something you think? is going to be better. So we'll have to see how it all that plays out. Um, you know, along those lines, the other procurement I wanted to mention to you just generally, because I, I think it's an interesting one to follow and that's Astro and that's like for drone technology and capabilities and FedSim, you know, part of the GSA's assisted acquisition service um, AAS is, is doing that procurement for its use to support customer agencies. And I think, I think that you, what we're starting to see is that the, that the services being under offered under that may um, expand, you know, to beyond a little bit beyond drone capabilities and to other, you know, technical capabilities and whatnot. So yeah, any thoughts on that? 
maybe, and, and, and GSA is taking the drones off the schedules program. So that's kind of um, becoming part of the influence there. So I guess GSA, as they, as they build this program, their security is a big deal now, right? I think that's where, that's where the, the uh, construction of these programs, whether it's a Big Mac or, or the one on drones and so forth, is, is going to take uh, a lot of time. And I think the more the government can utilize commercial practices and it, it kind of, I think we should stay away from what we talked about earlier is the, uh, the, def, the GSA definition of e-commerce. So I, I hope we don't get into definitions of more security definitions that are outside of the practice and try and construct these GWACs on them. Right. I think to your point, I think that the, this, the government security requirements, which I think are really the nation's security requirements, it'll be interesting to see how they evolve in the private sector and how they evolve in the government and whether there's, you know, kind of a move to a sort of, you know, I guess a consistency across both or, you know, in a sense, instead of standards that are recognized, you know, across um, government and, um, and in industry as the way forward, because it does impact you know, pride the private sector, you know, that solar winds hack, right? It's not just government companies that got hacked. I mean, government agencies that got hacked, it's companies as well. So, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so we have about two minutes left, um, uh, Bill. So, I wanted to give you the last sort of word and just, you know, if there are two or three things, you know, one of the keys I think to management is right, I, recognizing like, what you can accomplish and what you can't and like not, you know, not, not trying to boil the ocean as you are fond of saying, Oh yeah. Like, um, you know, let's say two to three different priorities that you focus on for the incoming administration to hand to enhance the value and support of customer agency missions. What, what would those be? Sure. Um, I'm going to go a little bit beyond federal. If that's okay. Sure. Because it's administration, right? So it's the whole country. Right. Okay. Right. I think uh, to, to giving GSA credit on the consolidation side, I think uh, aligns the starts perfectly for the incoming administration to now, you know, bless the kind, bless the schedules program of 100% cooperative purchasing because that that that's state look, you know, state and local governments can do that, and you know, the states are at a, having a financial crunch. I think it, it's a cost saving for not only the, the, the state and local government, but also for industry not having to, to apply to different types of uh, you know requirements from state governments that the states can use the schedules. And for the ones that are uh, cooperative purchasing, I think uh, has shown value within the program. So to take to take out confusion and align it more with commonality, I think the schedules program itself a cooperative purchasing program. That'd be a five star. We're going to do five stars. I mean, we can. Okay. Up. Okay. <laughs> the other one is, uh, you, know, you mentioned the term best in class that the administration should acknowledge that schedules are a best in class acquisition program. I mean, that that's all that's administrative. And, and to say that you do $34 billion a year or over 30 billion, 36 billion, whatever it is now, it's like, how can that not be a how, how could you not classify that as best class? So that's my that's the other right. It's meeting customers. And to your point, Bill, I think one of the observations you always made to me is 
when there's, um, I don't know, the, you know, significant events, whether it's the financial crisis, 9-11, the pandemic, you know, people go to the use of schedules. And, you know, this past, last year, 20, um, there's a 10% increase in purchases off the schedule, you know, and that's a program that generally is about 1% maybe increase a year. So you saw a significant bump and it's likely, be, you know, presumed consistent with your observation. And through those first two five-star recommendations, yes, and that, the, which create with in of itself, create another five, probably a 10 star. Right. Okay. Okay. Administration to reduce the IFF. Ah, very good. Yes. I think, I think, I think that within that program, within the schedules program would, provide significant across the government cost-effective benefits as well as resource or just, just, you know, resource benefits for, for everybody across country and state and local and federal governments. Right. So cooperative purchasing, best in class, and reduce the IFF. Here we go. That's a five-star set of recommendations. Bill, oh, thanks. So, um, and we're at the end of the show. Perfect timing. So I want to thank my guest today, Bill Gormley. He is a president of the Gormley Group, chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Raj Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.